The Menopause Space podcast is brought to you by Reset 40, an evidence-based nutrition and wellness program for menopause and perimenopause. My name is Lisa Tarquini. I'm a UK registered nutritionist and a licensed menopause champion. I've been menopausal since I was 32, following my first session of chemotherapy for cervical cancer. As someone who reads medical journals for a living, I'm shocked at the lack of resources and research available for people experiencing perimenopause and menopause. This podcast provides evidence-based solutions for all women who want to live a strong, healthy and confident midlife. It's a space for partners who want to learn more about this transition so they can better support their loved one. And it's an uplifting and empowering community so no one ever has to feel alone. You're listening to The Menopause Space. Hello, and thank you for joining us for another episode of The Menopause Space. I'm Lisa Tarquini in Hong Kong. Coming up on this episode, let's get physical. What is the word you call a, your your scale? What do you call the scales? The mood hoover. That's <laughs> <laughs> such a good term. You know, I've, ne- I've never heard that one. I like it. We chuck out the scales and get into the gym with women's health trainers, Jill and Georgia from Joint Dynamics Evolve. By global demographic estimates, 25 million women enter the menopause each year. Though everyone experiences it differently, it is a time of profound physical and hormonal change. From mood swings to insomnia, hot flashes and brain fog, the symptoms can have a serious impact on our daily life. The good news is, and we are all about the good news here at the menopause space, there are lifestyle changes that can help make a difference in alleviating your symptoms to protect your body from some of the health risks associated with the menopause. I'm delighted to be joined today by Georgia, exercise physiologist and women's health trainer, and Jill, Pilates instructor and women's health trainer, both from Joint Dynamics Evolve. Hello. Hello. (laughs) Thank you for having us. I can't wait to get into this conversation. Firstly, Georgia, for the listeners, what is an exercise physiologist? So as an exercise physiologist, I work around using exercise as medicine. So this can be to reduce, prevent injuries, chronic diseases, and as well, just trying to improve quality of life. And then as well as being an exercise physiologist, I also am a rehab trainer and women's health trainer as well. So those are my roles. Amazing. And Jill, you're a qualified Pilates instructor as well. Yeah, I've done quite a bit of different schools of Pilates. So you get different Pilates schools throughout the world. So I'm a Stott or Merrithew trained Pilates instructor across all different pieces of equipment. So you've got reformers, Cadillacs, stability chairs, just your standard mat work. I'm also a personal trainer specializing in the women's health space. So anything from pre and postnatal to peri and perimenopausal space as well. Oh, amazing. So exercise, particularly strength exercise, Georgia, is so important. Obviously, as experts, you know this. And as somebody who's working in this space, I know this. But why is strength training so important during life, but particularly during peri and post-menopause? So sadly, during menopause, we actually go through a little bit of bone loss. 
and low bone mineral density. So for this, what we try and advise is a lot of strength training, weight bearing, a little bit of impact depending on where you are at in terms of bone mass. But strength training is great for trying to develop, maintain that bone mass, which is a number one factor and issue during and around menopause. So exercise, whether that's weight bearing, going up the stairs, hiking, doing more walking, whether that's lifting up a bit heavier loads, weights, doing a little bit of impact in terms of jumping can also really help maintain that. And then there are so many different health benefits that come with exercising. So you're helping trying to prevent and reduce the onset of any chronic diseases during that stage as well in terms of energy levels which can seem really low due to that loss of estrogen as well can really help try and drive those energy levels up but yeah it's something that can really give so many health benefits to menopause and something I specifically think helps the most is that risk of osteoporosis which is that loss of bone mass which tends to happen for women around the age of developing menopause. Yeah, and I suppose osteoporosis is one of the three main health risks and the most prevalent around menopause. And as an exercise physiologist, obviously, you you will know that with our bone loss, it starts really in the menopause transition, so the perimenopause, because of that drop and fluctuation of estrogen. So if you think about a woman in her 40s who is going through that perimenopause or that menopause transition, and obviously there's different rates of that, you know, is this an ideal time for women to get in the gym? I think that, you know, obviously the younger you start being active and exercising, the easier and more improvement you're going to have to reduce the onset of anything like that but there's no time is you know set to be like this is when you should start starting now it's going to help you later on in life as well so starting now in terms of exercise activity finding something you enjoy is going to help with your health benefits no matter what age you are whether you're perimenopausal or not so I think it's just understanding that what you do with your body now, later, will help reduce those health risks. So I would absolutely advise anyone to an NEH to get into it, for sure. But Jill, I suppose for some women, they may feel, you know, like strength training or lifting weights could be a little bit intimidating. And you have, you know, the, the other end where you have the Pilates instructor benefits as well. What are the benefits of Pilates during this phase? Yeah, so I think it's just another alternative. It's a lovely different option for women who want to get into some sort of physical activity. The great thing with Pilates is that it's low impact. It's a little bit slower, a little bit more gentle. Not saying that lifting weights isn't gentle because you can have, you know, like lovely gentle weight lifting classes as well. But something that just tends to feel a little bit less intimidating for women who are wanting to get into physical activity. It's great for building lean muscle. You can also start obviously going into the perimenopausal phase. We often have struggles with brain fog and sometimes Pilates just, yeah, or anytime really. But sometimes Pilates is just good because you've got to slow things down. Sometimes you really think about what you're doing. Sure. Um, and that can really help with those moments of sort of brain fog. And then 
if you're thinking of more terms of longevity, we also focus quite a lot on balance. And that's something that's important through all phases of life. But particularly when we get older, we want to be able to be confident in any sort of balancing activity or, you know, being able to get back up off the ground if you've had a fall or sure. anything like that. So Yeah, and it's good to have that variety. One thing you touched on was the loss of lean mass and how Pilates can help build up lean mass as well as what Georgia was mentioning with strength training as well. And the SWAN study, which is the study of women's health across the nation, and it began in 1996 as an observational study of women during the menopause transition and menopause. And what they found was that women during the menopause transition, so if you think that that's going back to your 40s, they actually lost lean muscle mass because of this drop and fluctuation in estrogen and gained more fat mass. So body composition changes during the transition and strength training form, you know, as a, from a personal perspective, I, I really noticed that when I, you know, it was one of the, the biggest, I didn't think of my bones actually when I was menopausal at 32, I just thought about how my body changed, you know, I had this abdominal fat, I had this, everything just felt soft. What a lot of women who come to see me in my clinic find is they, they're gaining weight or they're gaining fat, which is the loss of estrogen. So would Pilates help with building that lean muscle mass if a woman, for example, didn't feel confident to lift weights? Yeah, definitely would. So one of the theories that we use in Pilates is a concept called layering. So we'd sort of do an exercise. So you kind of focus on a muscle group and you focus on sort of working those muscles. Then you'll add another layer to it. So you'll maybe add a little bit more of a challenge, add a little bit more, add a little bit more so that we are slowly developing and building up that lean muscle mass. It's really good to hear that because that can help, you know, obviously I feel again, from a personal perspective, working with both of you and, you know, you on a weekly basis, Jill, that my body shape has changed and my body composition definitely has changed, which has improved my body confidence. So I know a lot of women who come into my clinic, they're always talking about the number on the scale and they're like, I've gained so much weight and I'm, you know, I can't eat the way I do, you know, when I was in my, you know, 20s and 30s, for example. But I always explain that the number on the scale doesn't always equate to health. And, you know, I'm still the same weight, but my body composition, so I have more lean mass, and I have less what I feel in myself and what you can see physically, uh, I have definitely more muscle mass. Yeah. What is the word you call your, your scale? What do you call the scales? The mood hoover. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a good term. You know, I've, ne I've never heard that one. It, really like it sucks the mood out of you, doesn't it? You stand on the scales and it's like, what the what? hell? Yep. Like, come on. Like, so I always tell my clients, put the mood hoover in the bin. Let's focus on how you feel. How's your energy? Yeah. And obviously, yeah, honestly, but Georgia, one of the things that I do get a lot, but you know, when I'm advising women to come and see you at, at Evolve and Joint Dynamics is that I can't lift weights. I'm going to be too bulky. Georgia, what the fog? <sighs> <laughs> so honestly, I think this is a comment that, you know, we've all yeah. heard. And me and Jill have heard it particularly a few times in the gym and have had various conversations. 
and it's something that drives us up the wall. It is, you know, it's really, really frustrating, especially, you know, for women that want to get in the gym, but they're like, well, I'm, I'm too scared to lift that, or that that's going to, you know, make me bulky, make me look like a man sort of thing. And yeah. <laughs> it's just kind of heartbreaking to know that people you know, I have that poor knowledge and, and education, but it's not even around that, you know, social media is a lot to do with this. And obviously the term bulky is used in a negative way to women. Yeah. Um, so it's, you know, describing us as being muscly or having well-defined physiques, which is an absolute amazing thing to have. And that is through dedication of years of training, um, something that we should be proud of. But yeah, I think just understanding that lifting weights isn't going to make you bulky. If you just do two sessions or three sessions of lifting weights, you're not actually going to have that much difference in your muscle mass that quick. It does take time and it's due to consistency. So with strength training, you're actually building lean muscle mass. So you're actually transferring your body fat that you have, like if you have excess amounts of, that is turning into lean muscle mass which is essentially going to make you aesthetically and physically look a little bit leaner I'm not going to use the word word toned because I don't like that word Uh, but (laughs) I think if I use that as a phrase people would understand what I mean by that yeah but as well strength training has so many health benefits the list literally goes on and especially for us female athletes whether or not we're talking about menopause or not the the health benefits are crazy so I think if that's not enough to want you to start strength training to understand that this can lead to an improved quality of life physically psychologically metabolically then I don't know what else to say (laughs) oh no and I'm totally totally in agreement yeah no absolutely if I think back to working with the Hong Kong sevens rugby athletes And culturally, there was a big stigma around being muscly for them. And what was interesting was, you know, we were championing these athletes during the week on how the progress they were making in the gym, the progress that they were making in speed on the on the field. And then they were going home and family, friends, you know, peers were commenting that they were too big, they were too muscly. So even though, you know, the health benefits outweigh all of that, there was still that confusion and body confidence, which was really challenging. And I have worked with, you know, local women who were perimenopause and and menopausal and advising them to go and work with a strength trainer. And they were saying that, you know, they don't want to be bulky because of this, I suppose, cultural stigma around being lighter and smaller. Any advice on how we get around that, girls? Like, you know, because it is so important that we reduce all of these side effects. But working here in Hong Kong and working within the culture, how do we break down those cultural taboos or not taboo but barriers maybe Jill any thoughts yeah I think it's so difficult because like we just get met with this almost every single day like we've got clients who who their their goal is to look really really fragile I know and I think it boils down to finding out where the person's fear comes from educating them 
and then trying to see if you mm. if you can build up from there. But it's an individual thing, right? So some people are really susceptible to those conversations and other people are like, nope, I am going to get bulky if I lift these weights. And I mean, I, we struggle sometimes still to try and get the point across that it's not possible yeah. unless you are, you know, really, really focusing on that sort of bulking. It's really difficult to achieve that. And sometimes you're lucky and you, you get people who are susceptible to what you've got to say. And other times it's a bit like smashing your head against the wall. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is a tricky one. Right. There will be listeners who are hearing these health risks, osteoporosis and sarcopenia, the loss of muscle mass, and these health risks that are related to perimenopause and menopause for the first time. So what I'd like to do is give a few case studies and a few scenarios that maybe you could answer that may resonate with some of these women that they could then come in and speak with you afterwards. So Georgia, we've got a 51 year old woman and she's just been diagnosed from her doctor with osteopenia. What does that mean? Can it be reversed? And how can you help? Okay, so... Osteopenia is a loss of bone mineral density. So basically this indicates you just have fewer minerals of bone density than you had before. So this isn't as severe as osteoporosis. Osteoporosis is more risk of fractures and breaks of the bone. So not everyone with osteopenia can develop osteoporosis. So that's also something good to hear that you, you know, oh, just because I have osteopenia, does that mean that I'm going to get osteoporosis? And what people should do with osteopenia is should try strengthen and protect their bones. So in ways that I have kind of just spoke about is trying to build up your activity levels that little bit more. So through strength training, and by strength training, I don't necessarily mean lifting a 2kg or 4kg weight. So this would mean a bit of a heavier load because if we're lifting a little bit of a heavier load, we're activating those osteoblasts in the bone, which then form bones. This is the same with weight bearing and the same with impact. So by doing those three activities, they can actually help form more bone, which is amazing. So that just shows that you can actually maintain- So slightly reverse it. Yeah. So a slight reverse. Absolutely. And obviously that takes time. It's not going to happen overnight. Again, it involves a bit of consistency and a lot of research that has been out there is mainly between yeah. six months to a year yeah. that actually that bone mass can form and those osteoblasts can be activated. So just having a little bit of consistency, whether that's just at least twice a week, which has also been said by research and guidelines to either be doing weight bearing, a little bit of impact, a little bit of strength training can actually really help, which will then improve your quality of life. So you're not at risk of developing osteoporosis. So I think for this case study, that would be a big one. And I think just, you know, if you've never been in the gym before and you've never done any of those exercises, finding something you enjoy. Impact can be skipping, dancing, same with weight bearing hiking, going up the stairs. It's not just about lifting those weights, but strength training is just one of the top main type of exercises that can really help activate those osteoblasts. So I think just finding something you enjoy that 
can increase your heart rate and get you weight bearing, get you a little bit more impactful, which can really help try and reduce the risk of osteopenia turning into anything else. Oh, that's such good advice. And thank you for the variety, because there will be some of our listeners who don't have the financial means to, you know, go to the gym. So to get outside and go for a hike, particularly here in Hong Kong, which we are surrounded by that, you know, when it's free, that's really, really useful. Okay, so Jill, we've got a 47 year old woman who has come to you for help. She's recently gained a lot of weight and feels very self-conscious and nervous about being in the gym with lots of quote-unquote fit people. How would you advise her? Yes, you know, this is something that we get quite often. And fortunately, in our space at Evolve, we are lucky enough to have a floor that is more targeted towards women and women's fitness so that we have that safe space for women to train. If, however, you're in a position where that doesn't happen in the gym all the time, I like to sort of ease people into that. So find a quiet corner and you can do what you need to do in your quiet corner and maybe like poke your head around and have a look and and see what's going on in the gym. And then slowly but surely people start to realize that actually no one else cares what you're doing in the gym. And this was something I had to overcome as well because I was so intimidated about going into the gym for the first few times when I was learning how to train. And I was just like, everyone's going to be judging me. Actually, no one cares. (laughs) Everyone's doing their own thing. And yeah, I think it's really fun eventually when you start building that gym community as well. You'll have people that aren't judging what you're doing. Maybe you're struggling on a set and you're going to have someone that's going to be like, actually, you've got this, Lisa, you can pick up that heavy weight. But yeah, I, I do particularly understand that it can be quite intimidating. I also find sometimes, you know, if you've picked up a lot of weight and you're just not feeling yourself, you're feeling really self conscious, coming into a gym, being surrounded by mirrors, can be awful yeah so it's just being sensitive to where your clients at so yeah you've got to gauge where they're at and how much they're willing to step out of their comfort zone and you sort of build and play on on those little small steps baby steps baby steps and i'm glad you you mentioned my name there because this this scenario was me Um, because this is Lisa. Because honestly, I am a registered nutritionist, been practicing for over 20 years and being menopausal and my body weight changing has knocked my self-confidence a lot. And particularly in Hong Kong, where rightly or wrongly, there's a real fattest kind of phobia. There's fat phobes here in Hong Kong and I'm not fat, but I'm athletic and I'm curvy And I just had this real self-conscious feeling about going into the gym in front of all you fit people and feeling out of shape. And thankfully, there is that space in Evolve on the sixth floor, which is only women. And I felt comfortable because I knew you all, which was great. But you did help me gain confidence to go down onto the main gym floor, which I really appreciated you taking that time. So for anybody listening, those baby steps do build up and you do gain that confidence. And now I walk in and it doesn't matter. And like you just said, nobody's looking at you. Nobody cares. (laughs) No one cares. So that was, yeah. And once I got that, it was, uh, yeah, I felt very, very comfortable, which I'm delighted about. Right. Georgia, money. Money's huge. And obviously, with personal training and with being professional and the expert that you are, that 
costs money and not trying to deter people from coming into the gym, but they are getting your expertise as an exercise physiologist and a women's health trainer. But for those who couldn't afford it, I think you have given some, you know, really good examples previously with hiking and skipping. Is there anything else we've missed off that? I think I would advise trying to be more active in other ways. So for instance, if you actually go on your phone, and I don't know if anyone else has this, but it kind of actually shows how long you're on your phone for. You can see that you put like mine is about five and a half hours a day, which is such a long time. So, (laughs) you know, during that time, I could have used my time so much more productively. So if you look at that sort of direction, it shows that you actually do have some time on your hands to do something. So I look at that and I'm, you know, thinking to myself, I could have gone on a really lovely hour long walk or a 20 minute walk. So I think trying to be more active in that way. So whether it's starting to walk to work or just starting to walk home from work. And obviously the weather's getting a little bit more humid, especially in Hong Kong. So walking to work, you probably want a shower before, so it's probably not ideal. (laughs) But walking home after work, if that is, you know, accessible, that would be great to try and increase steps a little bit and just trying to... I know people have heard this a lot, but trying to hit that like 10,000 step Mm. sort of measure, as research has shown, that actually reduces your risks of chronic diseases by 20%. That's huge. Yeah. Yeah, which is massive. So if it's just something little like that, that'd be great. Even if, you know, you're getting the lift up to three floors somewhere in a building, trying to take the stairs. Yeah. You know, just little, starting to do just little habits, like changing your lifestyle habits a little bit like that can actually create such a difference in your energy expenditure, sure. um, which can then help with trying to be more active. Um, so that would be great. And, you know, and as well, just trying to, instead of getting the cab five minutes away, trying to then walk. I know Hong Kong is very, very hilly and stairs, but... You know, anything is better than nothing at the end of the day. And I think... Just got to move. Yeah, honestly, just moving that a little bit more. It's really hard. People here, you know, they work such long hours. It's really hard. Sure. I always advise my clients try and set a 30-minute alarm every 30 minutes. And to just stand up, move around a little bit, go grab a glass of water, come sit back down. You've moved your body for maybe two minutes. But if you're doing that every so often, it's building up. So it's just those little small daily habits that can actually change your lifestyle and reduce the... Prevent. Yeah. Prevent. Prevent prevent and reduce. Like, honestly, you know, I think what stands out to me most after my cancer treatment, if people could just do these small little things every day to prevent the long-term health risks, then we would all just be functioning really, really well. Why wait until something goes wrong to fix it? Exactly. That's Why not put these things in place as you go along? So is when it's too late. I know. So you get osteopenia, but you could have walked for the last 10 years or you could have lifted your heavy shopping bags or, you know, did things like that. So, yeah, that is kind of a bugbear of mine. You know, for instance, when you feel ill, you've got the flu or when you've got a really, you know, you've picked up an injury on your foot. That's when you're like, 
oh, I really took my health for granted. Yes. So it's at, like acting on it now yes. will be the best thing to do. Absolutely. So Jill, body confidence is absolutely huge when a woman turns 40 and they're not metabolizing food the way they used to. Things are starting to creep up. Their body, their muscle mass and their body composition is changing. How do you help your clients with body confidence? Yeah, it's it's always such a tough one because, I mean, if I'm honest, it's something I've struggled with almost my entire life. I think as women, we're just, it's so ingrained in us that we need to be like lean and skinny and skinny is the only way and it's only recently where I'm myself I'm really starting to appreciate my body for what it can do it's sometimes it's about sharing your own journey and your own struggles and other times it's just showing people how capable their bodies are so instead of going like oh you know we want to lose this much weight and we want to lose the fat around the belly and da, da, da. or we can go like okay so you've managed to hike you've hit your goals like Instead of focusing on negative things, rather focus on something positive, something that, that's achievable, get a goal in place and celebrate the body instead of hating the extra little love handle or the chin or whatever it is, you know? Oh, I totally agree with that. Like, and that's, you know, going back to when I was talking about having no self-confidence I remember when I was at my worst during cancer treatment, a friend had come over to see me and like I played international netball, I'd ran marathons and, you know, I was always so active, but I couldn't move. And she said, should we just see if you can walk to the end of the driveway? And I got to the end of the drive. My legs got me to the end of the driveway. And I was so proud of my legs being so strong to get me to the end of the driveway. And sometimes when I'm giving myself a hard time, because I'm a woman like everybody else, you know, <laughs> and I know I'm all for body confidence and body empowerment, but you do have days where you're like, oh, I wish these jeans would fit better. And oh, I wish I hadn't have had that third, third bottle of wine or maybe glass of wine. <laughs> I've got a muffin top today with bloat. Um, but like, I always think back to, you know, my legs got me to the end of the driveway. They saved my sanity during cancer treatment. My legs were so strong and I thank them, which is maybe really odd, but I thank my legs and I think, wow. And that's why I feel like I'm investing in my health every time I walk in to evolve and work with you because it's, I never want to feel like that again. Yeah, I think as you know, the other thing is, which I always find quite funny, the way we talk to ourselves and the things we say to ourselves, like, oh, muffin top, oh, fat face, oh, blah, blah. Like, <laughs> do you honestly <laughs> think you would come to the gym with me? And I would be like, oh, Lisa, that's quite the muffin top. Like, we would never, ever speak <laughs> to someone else the way we sometimes speak about ourselves. So sometimes it's about changing that's right, yeah. the self-talk and like, Instead of muffin top, it's, you know, got to the end of the road or did that hike. Um, yeah, we, we're sometimes not very kind to ourselves. I totally agree. And for anybody listening, change the narrative, start changing Absolutely. the talk. And I can. And what Jill says to me every time I'm in the gym <laughs> and she's trying to get me to lift heavier. She's like, Lisa can do hard things. <laughs> And we all can. We can do hard things. As women, we can do hard things. And I champion that phrase 
for so many reasons. And I think finishing off there, Georgia, what would be your number one piece of advice for anyone listening, thinking, I need to do this, I need to do this, but they're not quite over the line yet? For the people that say they do something and then they do it, I'm like, you're the man. This is great. You're the woman. This is great. This is what I think. If you're going to say something you're going to do, and if you know that it's going to benefit you in some way, do it. Do it now. Even if I say the term life is too short, life is way too short. Start now. It's going to help you internally, externally, so, so much. And whether that's, you know, psychologically, physiologically, anything, you know, it's, it's really going to help. And I think if you look into, you know, five years from now and you've done it, you're going to look back and you're going to be thanking yourself so much for taking that one little step, that one little step of fear that is no longer fear. And sometimes the things that do scare you are the things that are actually going to benefit you in such positive ways. I think we've probably all had, you know, Lisa Joe, this experience where you actually took the step of doing something that you are so incredibly scared about doing. And it has paid this off podcast? so well. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. You know, it, it pays off yeah. so well. And I just think, stay true to yourself. If you tell yourself you're going to do something, do it. It's yeah. going to help you in so many ways. So I know. You'll never regret moving. You'll never regret moving. You'll never regret doing that session. You'll always feel good about it. <laughs> it's just getting over the line, getting over the yeah. out the door is 50% of it all, isn't it? Yeah. What about you, Jill? What would your one piece of advice for all the lovely listeners? I'd say probably a twofold. It's the one thing is to find what you enjoy. Because if you're doing stuff you enjoy, that's so simple. Like, some people don't like running, so don't try and go and run. That's me. Go That's and me. do something else. <laughs> yeah, there, I just like running. You know, like find what really sets your soul on fire and then try it and be consistent. So consistency is always going to be my number one take home from this all. And consistency doesn't mean six times a week, every hour on the hour doing something. It could be one training session a week. Absolutely. But you do it consistently. That's where you're going to start seeing the real change, the real benefit of it. Because, you know, we're all so guilty of like, I'm going to do something. And then you start and then three weeks later, you've gained a kilogram and you eat cookies more than you did before. So if you can find what you enjoy, set yourself a goal, and then just slowly start chipping away at it, that's going to be your number one way of getting to what you want to achieve. Yeah, I completely agree with that, Jill. Yeah. Never look back once you've done you know, it can be, so me and Jill do completely different, you know, sports and trainings. And again, it, it doesn't matter. We're both being consistent with it. It doesn't matter whether or not you enjoy yoga or you enjoy doing bodybuilding. They're different ends of the spectrum. And I think, yeah, it's just finding something you enjoy and just not caring. Like we said about in the gym, no one cares. No you know, one. Not caring what anybody thinks. <laughs> so yeah, I really like that, Jill. That's, that's great. Yeah, I, I just, I found that with myself as well, because, you know, training, I, I work with a trainer once a week, and it's just one of those things that's worked really well, we've ticked over really, really well. And sometimes when you zoom out, and you go, actually, I've done this every single Monday for the last 10 months. Yeah, I haven't missed a session. And, and then I like, I sort of got into bed one night, and I was like, you know, when you're just having a little feel of your muscles, I was like, hmm, 
hmm, those muscles, those have grown. That's cool. And it purely is all based on the fact that we were consistent. It wasn't impossible tasks. I wasn't so stiff that I couldn't walk the next day. It was enjoyable stuff. And that's what kept me coming back. And that all related to being more comfortable on a run. Absolutely. And I have done the same with you, except for this week. Um, (laughs) But I think that feeling, seeing the progress in your body changing with the shape of your arm, for example, you know, I'm always like, oh my God, I've got back fat or bingo wings or something like that. You know, I've got like overspill, you know, just like over by your boobs or whatever. And that's disappeared. But that has taken, I started in maybe January. So that has taken up till May and June, July. Like it's time and you do see it, but it's like weight gain. It's like the loss of your bone and the loss of your muscle. You don't see it in this big, massive change. It happens slowly, slowly over time. So why don't you slowly, slowly, slowly make it the positive change instead of the negative change? I think that's... yeah. Oh, I could talk about this forever, but I know that you're very busy. Thank you so much for coming on today and chatting to us about bone health, muscle, building (laughs) strength and, you know, improving our body composition. I really appreciate it. And I'm sure our listeners are too. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much, Lisa. It's been great. Thank you so much for having us and see you in the gym next week. Yeah. (laughs) Your experience is really important to us here at the Menopause Space. You can check out our free resources as well as our professional advisory services at themenopausespace.com. We'd also love to hear from you. Send us a voice note to the WhatsApp number in the show notes with comments or any questions you'd like to ask us about menopause. Or you can email us at podcast at themenopausespace.com. Coming up next time, menopause in the workplace. Women experiencing the menopausal transition, like you said, that population is one of the fastest growing economic groups and workplace demographics. It's also the age bracket during which women are most likely to move into top leadership positions. And yet the reality is women are turning down promotions and leaving the workforce entirely at the same time. What can companies do to retain women at the top of their game? More on that next week. That's it for this edition of the Menopause Space. Join us next week wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Lisa Tarquini in Hong Kong. Thanks for listening. This podcast was brought to you by Reset 40, an evidence-based nutrition and wellness program for menopause and perimenopause. The Menopause Space is a bold type production produced by Paula Sales and edited by Richard Eldred.